Everybody in the room, everybody joining us online, all of our Ports Live locations, specifically Ports Live Midland, Tulsa, North Houston, Austin, Texas, wherever you are joining, we are continuing with this series on a look at the book of Ephesians. This past weekend, I had a life-changing experience and that my family officially became minivan people. Now... I don't want you to think of me any differently. I'm still the same person. And my wife, just for months and months, has, I don't think I've ever seen her want something more. And so finally, we were able to find and got a minivan. And so we went and, and ended up going home, and everything was great. But while we were there, I was asked, hey, do you want to trade in a vehicle? Now, let me give my hot take. Everybody's got certain hot takes. It's my opinion that you should never trade in your vehicle to a dealership. Now, here's why. Because they always lowball you. You always end up getting a, you know, a car that you have that's worth $8,000. They're gonna be like, here's 140. And you end up not maximizing the potential. So I always sell it private parties, just one of those things in life that I do. So I'll take that car and try to sell it on Craigslist, or try to sell it on some third party app and try to maximize potential profits. So that was happening and that's currently going on. But for that to happen, you've gotta clean and detail my wife's old car. So I'm cleaning and detailing and having her old car all cleaned up and I realized that the front headlights of her vehicle had experienced something that happens really over time with most vehicles. Your headlights begin, they start out clear and you can see them and it's like a clear glass on the front two headlights of your car. And eventually over time with wear and tear, they oxidate and they begin to be like cloudy and it just didn't look good. So I went and I purchased Headlight restoration to the rescue, which you apply on there, and it goes from looking ugly to being restored to looking like it's back to the original way it was made. And what does that have to do with tonight? Nothing. I just needed to talk to you about minivans for a little bit. No, the point of that story is in the same way that you take something and you are restoring it back to its original created design. The Apostle Paul has been arguing through the book of Ephesians that God, in Christ, when you trust in Jesus, he is making a new you. That's why the subtitle of this series is Introducing the New You. And the reality is that just like over time and through wear and tear and events, something that was originally created in a certain way gets increasingly less like it was created originally. When sin entered the world, every human heart and every human soul had a fracture, if you will. And the gospel is God restoring back the original design of humanity for you to be an image bearer of God. That as you and I follow Jesus, he is restoring and is establishing the new us, the new creation that we are. And as you continue to follow him, that's the process he's been laying out and that he's gonna do. And the Apostle Paul has been tracing, hey, you have a new life in Christ. God is restoring the reflection of God in humanity as you follow Jesus. And tonight he's gonna lay out specifically this new life that you have 
and how you experience change. In other words, if you are not experiencing change as a follower of Jesus, or you say you love Jesus, but your life is not shifting and becoming more and more like Jesus, it's because of not doing the things he's gonna talk about tonight. So we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter four, is we're gonna look, like, look at what the new life that you and I have in Jesus includes, and how God brings about change inside of your life. If you've ever wanted to experience more of your purpose, more peace, less destructive habits, tendencies, relationships, the Apostle Paul's words are for you. And so we're gonna start in verse 17, and we're gonna trace through three things that he says about the new you, introducing the new you. Now, the book of Ephesians was written by the apostle formerly known as Saul, who changed or had his name changed to Paul. He spent the first half of his life trying to stomp out Christianity And then he encountered Jesus and everything changed. And he would spend the rest of his life telling people about Jesus and telling Christians how to live the new life that they have in Christ. And one of the groups that he would talk to was the church in Ephesus. If you're joining us for the first week, we've been walking through this book written about 60 AD to a church meeting in the city of Ephesus. It's a beautiful city. Climate is like LA. It's on the water. People wanted to live there. And it still exists today. You could get on a plane and go visit it. And there was a group of Christians trying to live out their faith. And that's what Paul has been writing. Here's what it looks like to live in light of the new you. Starts in verse 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, Gentiles is not really a term that we use very often. My guess is no one used that phrase at your work or your office today. But it's basically Paul's description of the world. Hey, you are not to live like the rest of the world. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. So the Apostle Paul goes very dark, very fast, zero to 60. He's basically going, you're not to live like the rest of the world. And then he begins to describe how the rest of the world operates. But the first point I want to talk about is him saying, hey, if you are in Jesus, you are to stand out because of the new creation. When you trusted in Christ and you said, God, I accept you as my Lord, my Savior, the payment for everything wrong I've ever done, everything wrong I ever will do. I'll never be able to earn a relationship with you and I don't have to because that's why Jesus was sent into the world. The moment you trust in Jesus' death and resurrection, it's like a new life has been created. And Paul is saying, you are called to live in light of the new life that God has given you and not look like the world. You have a new identity. The first thing I wanna talk about is this new identity leads to new activity. He's saying you're to stand out. You're not to be like everybody else because you're not like everybody else. You have a new identity that leads to a new activity. About six months ago, my son came home on a Monday from school and he was stoked, he was elated. And my wife, I came into the door and she was like, crew, you gotta tell your dad what today was and why it was such an exciting day. And he began to tell me that this was his week to be the line leader. Now, crew is six. And this only happens one time a year where he goes, no longer is he crew Marvin alone. He is crew Marvin, the line leader. What is the line leader? 
they lead the line. And so as they walk all throughout school and do different activities, they are the person at the front of the line. He is a new identity that led to a new activity. He is the line leader, which means he will lead. And the same is true in a much more profound and real sense. Paul is saying, hey, you have a new identity in Christ that leads to new activity in your life. You are to look different from the rest of the world around you. It makes sense why they would live that way, but you are to live different. He's gonna unpack in a few minutes exactly what that looks like. But he describes the mindset and the person who doesn't know Jesus. And he uses some pretty colorful language. I'm gonna walk back through. He says, in the futility of their thinking. What does that mean? Again, futility is probably not something that you had a lot of conversations about today and, or anyone's ever come up to you and said, like, you know what your problem is? Futility of thinking. Futility is a word that means purposelessness. What is he saying? He's saying, you are not to live with your mind just focused on this life and this uh, length of time that you have and just on the job and just on the getting the raise and just on the vapor that is this life. You are to live with a perspective that is informed by eternity. That you are not like them. They live and they think like that because that's, this life is all that they know. But you, you do know Jesus. You do know God. And you are to live in light of that. They are darkened in their understanding. In other words, they don't understand that they have a need for a savior. They may think that hey, being a good person or if I just don't do crazy bad things, then I can have eternal life and live with Jesus and live with God or go to heaven. And Paul would say it's because they're darkened in their understanding. They have been cut off from the life of God. That they don't have access to the life of God, but you do, so you should look different. It's, it's language like they're cut off from a source. So of course, they're not gonna have the life and look like Jesus, but you do. Every once in a while, this feels like a pretty common experience. I'll plug my phone in at night and it's plugged in to the charger and the next morning I wake up and it's almost out of batteries or out of batteries. And I'll look at the end of the charger and it's because it had gotten disconnected from the wall. So of course, there's nothing, no source that is fueling it. And Paul is saying, man, it makes sense. Non-believers living, dating, acting, spending, living their life like somebody who doesn't know Jesus makes sense. They're just fulfilling their job description. They don't know Jesus, but you do. That you have a new identity that should lead to a new activity. He says that they, they are desensitized to things that are destructive. They've lost all sensitivity is what he says that they have appetites for sex, pleasure, just living for the now that is leading to destruction in their own life and they're unaware. I was reading an article this week on Chris Rock, who, the comedian, and he was talking about his addiction to pornography and how it destroyed his marriage. And I don't know Chris and his faith and where he's at on that, but what he said was really telling. He said, I was married for 18 years and pornography began to feed an appetite that just began to grow and grow. And I thought, you know, it was fine and it's just something that's a part of life. And he got to the place where he honestly admits, I was unable to be intimate with my wife without pornography because I just fed and fed and fed this. And he's kind of reflecting exactly what Paul's saying. They are desensitized to all sensuality. And 
as believers, you and I are called to look different from the world, to follow Jesus in a way that leads to life and is consistent with the new life that you have in Christ, that the world around us is chasing only this temporary life, and you and I are to look different. So here's my question. How does your life look different from your unbelieving friends? How does your life look different? Because, I mean, some of us, we would say we're a Christian, but there's non-Christians that, if you would compare your life and theirs, they look more like they're following Christ than you do in terms of how they date, talk, think, care for people. Like, does your life look different than the world? As Christians, we're called to date different. We're called to talk different, called to watch different entertainment than the world around us does. That we have a new identity that leads to a new activity. He talks about, man, they indulge in a sexuality and they just don't care. I mean, this would include how we date involves purity, that we believe as followers of Jesus, God designed sex to take place in marriage. Would someone looking at your dating relationship say, man, they are different than how everybody else does it because they follow Jesus? What's sad about those who make that decision, and it's an under, or sleeping together, is you're communicating to the person you're dating, I am willing to sleep with someone outside of the context of marriage. When it comes to being married someday, what gives you the confidence that you will continue to maintain that commitment with just them? You've already shown, I'll sleep with somebody outside of marriage. Having done a lot of marriages and weddings over the years, the couples who have the strongest I do's are the ones who say I don't in their dating relationship. The couples who have the strongest I do's and bond together are the ones who, when they date, they say, man, I'm honoring what God says and I'm honoring her and I'm honoring him and pursuing purity together. And the ones that have the weakest I do's are the ones who don't say I don't because they just continue to live and do what they will do in marriage, whatever feels or seems right to them. Do you look different from the world because Paul's saying you are different and I'm not saying that there won't be times where just because of your story and trauma or maybe abuse or maybe like you or like me you had pornography for years in my story where there's not times where you still get tempted or whatever the different brokenness represented here but the spirit of God wants to continue to restore and grow and bring about that new life my aunt, Vicky has a dog. I'm not even sure what kind of dog it is. It's like an eight pound white. It's like the antithesis of everything that a dog should be. But this dog, when you go over there, it's not just that. It's sadly, anytime you touch its tail, it just goes berserk and starts biting and yapping because it came from an abused environment, had an abusive owner, and then it got given to the pound and eventually adopted by my aunt. And so there's still going to be things that you may bring with you of, from the past, traumatic events, things that you've experienced that don't overnight always go away. But God's desire, and as you and I follow Jesus, is that he would bring more and more healing to those things because you have a new identity that he's bringing about new activity. And then he lays out a further way that this happens. Verse 20. That, however, is not the way you learn Jesus. 
When you heard about Christ and you were taught in accordance or in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, that you were taught the truth about Jesus, you were taught, verse 22, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That Paul said, hey, no, but you, you're not like the world. You learn Christ, and you were taught to put off the old self and put on the new by renewing your mind, by changing your thinking, that he brings up the mind, which is one of the key ways that God brings transformation about in our life, that it doesn't happen through just bootstraps and more effort and some motivational speech up here, but you begin to change your thinking, and it changes your living. The second point from the text is that new living comes from new thinking, that you and I go through the process of being made new by having our minds transformed by the truth. Romans chapter 12, verse two says, do not conform to the pattern of the world. Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind that you begin to put off the old and put on the new. That you don't just try harder one day, you address the lies, because he brings up deceitful desires. These lies that fuel self-destructive behaviors, addictions, sins. Toxic relationships. So you address the lies and you embrace the truth of God's word. And this is the path by which he brings about transformation. That renewing and new living comes from new thinking or renewed thinking. Thinking that doesn't go with what people have told you or what your advice from some mentor if it's not consistent with God's word. That I begin to embrace what God says about life, dating, love, marriage, work. And I hold on to those truths and I put off the lies. It's really a, a two-step process that's consistent with probably something a lot of people in this room do every week or often. You guys know what this is? This is nail polish. And having been married for the last 10 years, I have seen this process happen over and over and over. And it is renewing of someone's nails. And it involves two things. Men, let me just break this down for you. It doesn't just if they're going through their day and they got their nails painted and all of a sudden something chips off or they want to change color, they don't just, if it's already been painted on there and they want to go from, you know, red to whatever, they first must take off the old nail polish in order to prepare and they use something that somehow burns away paint, like NASA invented it or something, and they take off the old and then they apply the new. And as funny as that is, that's really the process the Bible says by which we change, that you and I have to get to the root of the lies that are fueling some of the struggles and behaviors that are there. Like, let me just press in a little and give you some examples. Like, if you struggle with an eating disorder, it's fueled by a lie. And it could be a lie that, man, my, my value is found in the way that I look. And you, you may not even articulate it that way. You would say, no, it's just the only thing I can control and it's not that big of a deal. But deep down, you've bought a lie that your value has anything to do with your appearance. And that lie needs to be replaced with the truth from God's word that you 
are a woman or man made in the image of God. You are of such eternal value, God would give his own life for you. No way that you look or ever will look or ever have looked has anything to do with your value. And Paul's saying, man, you change your living by changing your thinking. Maybe, you know, we talked about sex and marriage. Oftentimes, that can be fueled, or sex outside of marriage, I'm sorry, by a, a subtle lie that you believe that's connected to your value. Like you may think of it like, man, if I don't, everybody else, everybody sleeps, it's just not that big of a deal, and if I don't, he may not stay. You have bought a lie that you are not a valuable enough person for someone to want you just for you, not your body. And God says, man, your value is of such extraordinary worth that I would give my life for you. And there's no man that can change that or has anything to do with that. I don't know what it is, but I, I know that the devil is called the father of lies and he speaks deception over it's not that big of a deal, it's just one time, no one will know, it's not hurting anybody. And the scripture said that's not true at all, sin always hurts. It hurts you, it hurts me. And you and I combat that and live the new life by taking off the old and embracing the truth. This is why we talk so much about scripture and saturating our mind with what is true. Because every day you and I are bombarded with all kinds of lies. Some of you, you find your worth in your paycheck and what you've accomplished. And you, when you go there, are gonna experience all kinds of anxiety and stress because something is potentially gonna impact your value because it can impact your work. And Paul says, man, if you wanna live the new life, it involves, you gotta address the lies and embrace the truth because new living comes and is fueled from new thinking. That if you wanna address your behavior, you've gotta also address the belief because belief fuels behavior. And this is how people change. It's, it's like I've said, it's not just everybody else around you is trying harder. The way that Christians transform biblically is by having the way that they think about life changed and having it shaped by the Bible and what God's word says. And when that begins to happen, their life begins to change. And Paul says some very specific ways that it begins to change, and that's where he goes next. Where he says, therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must no longer steal, but must work and do something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, so that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice or ill will towards someone. Instead, be kind 
compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now Paul lays out a number of different behaviors and he gives these instructions and we can walk through those. But you notice at the end of the instructions, he says two pretty profound things. He says, hey, you're to talk this way and live this way and think this way and be this way because you were sealed with the spirit of God. And then he brings up forgiveness and he says, you forgive and you don't hold grudges because you have been forgiven. Not you will be forgiven if you do these things, that you have been forgiven. Not you will be sealed if you do these things. The spirit of God will not leave you. He has sealed you eternally. You have been given a new position and that leads to new practice in your life. That you and I, if you are in Jesus, you have been placed in a position that is eternal, that is immovable, that nothing you do or don't do in this life will ever change, that you have been adopted into the family of God, and that new position is what leads to new practice. That's the third point. New practice comes from a new position. You don't work for that. You don't work for it. Man, as long as you're good enough and you read enough and you, you obey enough, then the Spirit of God, then you will be sealed. Then he'll sue you. No, you are sealed. So live from that. You are forgiven. So live from that. That his argument is unlike most operating systems in this world, which is, hey, if you wanna be accepted, you better work and you better do enough. And he says, no, 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 you have been accepted. And now you live from that, not for that. Because new position is what brings about new practice. One thing I, I don't miss about the stage that a lot of you guys are in right now is the dating phase. My wife and I have been married 10 years and we still date. But I just mean the dating phase where you're basically in an interview all the time. And you're trying to put your best foot forward with them. And if you're dating in the room right now, this is happening. You won't admit it to each other, but it's for sure happening. And what's going on is every week, you know, you're trying to make sure that you present yourself in the best way because the relationship is not totally secure because you're still dating. You haven't, you know, put a ring on it and you're not married yet. So you're trying to present yourself as best as possible. So when you're catching up and he's like, well, what do you got going on Saturday? And you're like, well, I'm doing what I do every Saturday. I wake up at five, I read the Bible for four hours, go to a baking class, then I work out again. And you're trying to put your best foot forward and he is too. And he's trying to be like, you know, and to show that, you know, I'm a provider and I'm gonna be a great dad. And look at this, I'm always with my nephew over here. I love kids. And he's trying to put his best foot forward too because the relationship is not secure. And there's just a fear. And so you're getting into hobbies that you, you don't care about the Dallas Cowboys. You don't. But he does. And so you're like, yeah, go, go, dim, go dim boys. And you're putting on basically an attempt to secure that relationship. And it's natural and it's normal. And it, I guess it's just a part of it. But then marriage comes. And what I love about marriage is that you're not doing any of those things. And I don't love my wife and care for my wife and, uh, you know, get a mini man for my wife. In order to secure that relationship, it is secure. That I'm living from that, not for that. And the Bible says that you and I have a new position and that leads you to change. You knowing that there is nothing you could ever do if you were in Christ, only if you were in Christ. If you've trusted in Jesus as the Lord and Savior, the payment for your sin, there is nothing you could ever do that will move you away from him or cause him to move away from you. You are adopted into the family of God. No matter what sin you do three weeks from now, three hours from now, anything. And Paul says that doesn't lead us to run from God. 
the more you and I grow spiritually and mature, that leads you to run to him. How amazing is this God that loves me in spite of me? And that new position brings about new practice and he begins to lay out some of what those are and he says, it begins to impact your life. We don't lie to each other. And it's not just that we don't lie, we speak the truth in love. And he begins to give some corresponding things. He says, we don't sin in our anger, we resolve conflict. We don't let the devil have a foothold in our heart. We don't steal. Rather, we work in order to give. It's, it, the transformation is thorough. He's not just saying, hey, we no longer steal. He's saying, no, we stop stealing, which would include anyone today who at their employer or any time at their workplace is taking advantage and not fully working by scrolling through whatever social media in the middle of the day and wasting or taking advantage of your employer. That would be taking away. But he says, no, 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 we don't, we don't steal. We don't do any of that. Rather, we work in order to give. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but let him work so that he would have something to give other people. The transformation is thorough. He says, it, it affects the way that we talk. We don't let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouth but only what is helpful for building other people up. That we're people who use our words to build people up. And the more that you and I follow Jesus and our mind is renewed and we live from that identity and that security that we have in Christ, Paul says, this is what God will continue to bring about. This is the new life that God will establish. We don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That's just a way of describing the conviction that comes about when we live in a way that's inconsistent with what God says. If there are not times, and I say this as lovingly as I can, if you're a believer, the Bible says the Spirit of God indwells you. You have the Holy Spirit living in you, directing, convicting, leading. If you can't think of a time where you did something, you took an action, and you felt convicted and thought, man, I shouldn't have said it that way or I should have owned it, I should have not communicated that or I don't know that I should have handled it that way. And the Spirit convicted you. If in recent memory, just a memory, you, you can't think of a time where you acted not because you wanted to but because the conviction of God pressed on your heart. That's concerning. She says, man, the Spirit of God is gonna lead and the one who has sealed you and he's not leading you to say, if you don't follow me, I'm leaving. Now Paul says, we follow him knowing he's not leaving. That we have a security and that new position that is secure leads to new practices. And then finally he says, get rid of all bitterness, all anger, rage, brawling, and slander, along with every type of malice. And be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. It's a beautiful instruction. And what's interesting is, Paul is saying, man, as you follow Jesus, let the Spirit lead, you renew your thinking. The transformation is not just thorough, it touches everything. And eventually, as you and I follow, that's what Jesus is doing. He's touching everything to bring life. 
to everything in your life, every arena, every aspect, the dating, spending, everything. A couple weeks ago, there was the hurricane that hit Florida, as we all saw, and some of those homes had water that flood into them. You know what's interesting about water when it floods into a home? It spreads throughout the entire home evenly. In other words, it doesn't just go to one bedroom and then it stops or it just, it builds up in there and then it decides I'm gonna go in the kitchen and I'm probably gonna stay out of the playroom over there. It fills and it spreads and touches everything. And this is what Christ, as he and you and I follow him, that he wants to flood in and touch everything. And the more that you and I journey with Jesus, that's what he's doing. Not to control, but to bring life about. And Paul says, man, the new you, Man, it's, it, God is going to bring life everywhere. Because your new identity is going to lead to new activity. Your new position is going to lead to new practice. And your new thinking is going to bring about, and is how God brings about new living. Paul's words, as it relates to the security we have, is a really important message for someone in here to hear. Because maybe you grew up in church and you were told that in order for you to have a good standing with God or you and God to be good, that you have got to do good things. Now, God leads us to do and brings good about through our lives, but that's not how we have a relationship with him. The way that he transforms us is through his grace. It's the biblical word, the Christian word that we use to describe. I don't deserve God's favor in my life. I don't deserve to have a relationship, but just by Trusting in Jesus, I get to have one. And that security leads us to live for him and begins to change us. In the 1930s, there was a bridge that began to be built in San Francisco. You may have heard it and seen the Golden State Bridge. It's almost Golden Gate Bridge. It's almost two miles long. Go Warriors. It's almost two miles long. It's 750 feet up in the air. In 1930s, they began to create this. And during the construction, about halfway through, they reached the halfway point, and men had fallen. It was primarily men who were working on it. 23 men had lost their life falling hundreds of feet into the frigid, cold waters of the San Francisco Bay. And so for the second half of the bridge, they decided we're going to put a net underneath. Now, if 23 had fallen without a net, not knowing that they would be secure? How many would fall when there is a net, knowing that, hey, even if I end up falling off of this, this net will catch me? You would think it would be more. There's 23 without it, only 10 with it. And not only that, the productivity and the time and the ability and ways that they worked increased by about 25%. Knowing that the net was there to catch them, even if they fall, didn't lead to more people falling, it led to less. It didn't lead to less productivity, it led to more. They did the opposite of what you would think, and yet this is exactly what happens as followers of Jesus. Knowing that the net of God's grace will catch me, even if I fall, there is nothing that can change where I stand with God, doesn't lead me to be less in love, less passionate, less following of him. It leads to more because I have a security that nothing in this world can change. And your behavior, it's not whosoever behaves has eternal life. 
It is whosoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. God's love for you doesn't have anything to do with you. It has everything to do with the relationship that he has opened the door through his son, Jesus. And he loves you so much, despite your behavior, that he would give his life on a cross for you. And some of you are in the room tonight, just listen to me. The reason you are here is because for so long you have thought that God is a God who if you fall, he'll catch you. He'll get you in trouble. If you mess up, he's out to get you. And a better way of saying it would be, the truth is God is a God who has said, you're gonna fall and I'm gonna catch you with the net of my grace. And I have opened the door for that to happen through Jesus. And he is inviting you into that relationship with him to experience the new life, the life you were made for. And there's only one way for that to happen. And that's you deciding I am no longer gonna live, follow my own ways, could it be true, God, you're actually real? That I know in my heart of hearts, there's something broken. There's an emptiness I can't fix. And I know I'm not good enough to have a relationship with you. And if it's true, 2,000 years ago, you sent your son and he reset the calendar and he changed the world and he looks like he's changing a lot of worlds around me. God, I believe that. And I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. And there is no bigger and more important decision than you will ever make. Because it's only by making that decision first, your position before God, permanent. And that leads to a change in how you practice and live your life. It's the new you, the new life, new identity, new thinking, and a new position that leads to the new practice. Let me pray. Father, I do pray for anyone listening right now at the 11 other live locations, anyone in this room right now who I don't know their name, but you do. I don't know their story, but you do. And you don't just know them, you love them and you love them so much you gave your life for them. Father, we ask that you would allow them to take that step and just say, God, I receive you. I'm a sinner. And I trust in what you did. You're sending your son as the payment for my sin and dying in my place, the eternal sacrifice for me who then rose from the dead. And I give you my life, make it new. Make it yours. Make it like Jesus. Father, I pray for all of us in the room who have trusted in you, and we just, with open hearts, we invite you, God, would you take more ground? Would you make us more like Jesus? Would you start with me? More of the new life would be experienced and lived out. We thank you, God. We worship our King now in song.